year is 1992. I'm preparing for my 10th class CBSC boards. Azhar and his men are in Australia for a five-test series. Cricket fever is all over the place if you live in New Delhi or any part in India. I'm one of the few guys who is in school who's bringing a transistor or a pocket radio. People may not even know what it is today. But that was my claim to fame as some of the senior boys would borrow it and return my radio at the end of the school day. It was an era of radio commentary, TV highlights and newspaper reports. And this was my first time following a proper test series from Australia. Fast forward to 28 years later, which is today in the present. I'm not a popular guy by any means, but I do host a podcast where I get to host uh, and speak with knowledgeable cricket fans. The mode of consumption has changed as all matches are not only live and accessible from anywhere in the world, but you can watch it on any device, a phone or a tablet. So what also has come full circle is a performance of the Indian cricket team, once labeled as bad travelers in the year of 1992, to now a world-class outfit that recently, uh, what, 10 hours ago, host, uh, retained the Border Gavaskar Trophy in one of the most emphatic triumphs uh, that Indian cricket has seen in Australia. This is their back-to-back win. And helping me unpack the historic win at the GABA is Himanesh Ganju, a new era powerhouse fan turned analyst who is out there to shatter old-time cliches and nuances by simply talking about cricket and stats. So let me bring in my guest. Hey, Himanesh, how are you? Hi, Saqib. I'm doing well. I'm a pretty happy, uh, pretty historic moment that we're living in. I, I chose to stay awake and watch the final session, and I'm very happy I did that. And I, I, I was jumping and in tears at the same time at the end. So yeah, doing pretty well. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of people who listen to podcasts are already a niche audience. So I'm sure a lot of nostalgia right. and a lot of moments uh, will come to the listeners. And they experienced this probably earlier in the morning. One of my closest friends at 3 a.m. in the morning wanted to go meet for a coffee because right. you know, people didn't want to stay home and you know contain right. uh, what they had just seen. So before right. I couldn't sleep for a couple of hours after the match because adrenaline was so high and uh, yeah. No, absolutely. So before we talk uh, about uh, this historic moment uh, and the significance of where this ranks in the annals of Indian cricket, at least on our watches, uh, why don't you introduce yourself? I think you'll do a better job than me uh, to the listenership here. I know you write occasionally for Crick Info. What is your relationship to the game how did you become a fan? Your first memory, I asked this you know, on my show. And what space does cricket occupy in your professional slash hobby ecosystem? Uh, so cricket, like very usually, it's, it's a typical urban middle class phenomenon where it's all around you when you watched it and you've grown up with it. But it's only when I went for my engineering and it sort of became this escape uh, from life that I started focusing on it more. And I began appreciating test cricket at that time when I was like 18, 19. And after my undergrad, I had a little bit of a free uh, period. And I had a few questions I wanted to answer in terms of stats. And I couldn't do that. I, I couldn't find resources to do that. So I built my own database and I started writing uh, using that. And I posted here and there. And I've been posting for the post, uh, past four or five years. And now I write periodically for Cricket for, uh, which I'm lucky to do. Uh, so yeah, that's been the long and short of my journey as a cricket fan and why I got into numbers. Uh, because I felt that conventional numbers weren't answering a lot of things I wanted to answer. So yeah, that's, that's how I started doing it myself. Uh, let's stay on this topic for a minute. So what is the fascination of numbers? Because, you know, in every field, numbers are there. You know, it's a data-driven 
society, you know, in every field, uh, numbers hold uh, a different picture. But as a fan, and, you know, there's a, like, big debate on, on cricket, Twitter, and elsewhere. And it happens in tennis, too, because I think the, uh, some of the nostalgia, uh, nostalgic way of uh, explaining the game sometimes overlooks the numbers. And, you know, like, K- KD, Kartika Date of uh, Cricketing View, has, I think he's, he's a master uh, at addressing this. And we both follow his uh, blog and podcast. But uh, what is your belief that why should numbers be looked at in isolation and we should uh, try to not look at the adjectives such as valor, uh, heroism, uh, sacrifice, temperament, character. I mean, all these are fancy terms that, you know, I find hard to let go of, but it's making more and more sense when I look at the game, even reading manga. Uh, I think that's where the game is shifting. Of course, if you listen to Vaughn and Shweb Akhtar on TV, they are telling a different match. But they are like, you know, cricketers. Right, right. So right. Ex- explain your fixation with numbers. Why should we rely more so, on numbers? So, Karthik Kedate is one of my inspirations. Uh, he's been that for a long time because he's really thought in that way, right? He's, he's, he's thought about how to quantify the game best with numbers. And he's done it uh, over a period of uh, time now. Now, cricket has a very dramatic literary tradition. And uh, you have a history of good writers and good literature coming out of cricket. So I feel like the tradition has been to describe cricket in terms of dramatic and emotional terms, like you said. But uh, the other thing which has happened is um, cricket has remained confined to aggregate numbers like averages and strike rates and so on. Whereas baseball, uh, which was inspired by cricket, has moved on to much more detailed statistics. Now, why not do the same with cricket? Why not break down averages by opposition or by conditions? Because cricket is a complex game and conditions matter, for example. So I started by trying to normalize batting averages according to the era that people batted in. It's a basic question when I started because how can you have the same average uh, with the same quality in 1950 versus today? So that's how I started. So there's a lot more space in cricket for statistics uh, because there's a lot of complex and it's needed because we haven't moved past averages. So that's how I got fixated on it. And I've, I've uh, been fortunate to learn from a lot of people online as well. And uh, yeah. No, I think it's, it's, it is quite fascinating. And, and I've also transformed as a fan, as a, as a consumer of cricket in the last five weeks uh, with this series, because uh, I think my focus is clearly shifting. I don't know where, where I am, but I definitely think uh, numbers and some of the methods described uh, independent of, you know, the adjectives can tell a better picture, but I'm not fully there yet, but uh, I'm definitely more and more inclined. So I hope uh, me and some of the listeners here uh, would take note of what you are about to say. So uh, first things first, I mean, this is an incredible win. And, yes, sure. uh, you know, I didn't even know when everybody was writing on Twitter at 2.30 in the morning when this was about to happen. I'm usually not good at words, but I'm quick with coming up something. And I was looking at everybody else, putting their thoughts down. I couldn't come up with a tweet. Then I just uh, right. wrote something on Facebook, which is a very, uh, which is more like a private ecosystem because th- that only has my friends and few people right there. Uh, so given that, I mean, where does this actually rank? Uh, I've asked few people and uh, I've been told uh, the Dravid Lakshman escape in Kolkata against, uh, you know, the mighty Aussies, Steve Waugh's team, that's the closest. And of course, some people say that was better because their Australian team was huge. But then a lot of people will say this is happening in Australia. 
with our team outnumbered in terms of you know experience every test we are fielding a different 11 so is it is is it is there any other test that's even close or test series what happened uh, earlier today at the gaba look i don't think so in in purely cricket in terms uh, coming back with a follow and like that and uh, batting all day and winning the test in kolkata is definitely one of the greatest wins of all time but this series and the context around it Uh, the injuries india have had uh, you have the top 7 or 8 uh, first choice players out of the 11 uh, your covid bubbles your off field issues the quality of the australian team being at home now uh, hazelwood and cummins along with lyon is a world class attack and uh, cummins himself is an all time great bowler uh, facing that plus facing smith and warner and labuscagni at home uh, and coming up top after consistently losing players to injuries uh, this has got to rank as the best win for india at least from what i know like i watched cricket for 20 years i've read about it a lot but i don't think uh, we should take anything away from this victory in terms of how big it is for india because of the sheer quality of the australian bowling and uh, smith and warner and labuscagni and so on and how we've defeated them uh, 2-1 I think it's right up there. And then uh, of course winning in Brisbane adds to the right. mystique, right? Right, right, right. Right, right. So there was a lot of chatter about how it's the fortress and this and that, but this is ultimately just chatter, right? So what what matters is the quality of cricket and India played very good cricket in the test match and they won and this is just like newsworthy headlines like Dhoni once said that you know you talk about having never beaten Pakistan in a World Cup but the day they beat us you'll have a new headline and so on so these are just you know narratives that you build but if you play good cricket over the years you will win and the uh, indian team is at that point in their uh, you know their their cycle that they are playing very good cricket and they have the ability and the skills to beat an australian side at home beat at the gaba or somewhere else so sure yeah so yeah. so w- w- use some statistical uh, i mean nuance here batting last in sydney and brisbane that is not a narrative right that still yeah. even by cricketing skill that's the hardest job to do in a test match to either save it or go for a win because the numbers are pretty much stacked against this kind of a result and in in modern uh, cricket which is like the last decade or so uh, it's test cricket has become very result oriented so for ajinka rahane and team to to pretty much come out on top in these two scenarios uh, uh, your view on that i mean how hard uh, of an achievement is that back to back with the four day gap between sydney and brisbane see look that is also a bit of a narrative which has been built up because if you look at the sydney pitch the sydney pitch kind of died out on the last day and there was very minimal help for the bowlers and uh, vihari and ashwin blunted it out and it was it was an achievement because you don't expect a team to hold out on a fifth day pitch but that pitch was not your typical fifth day pitch i'm not taking anything away from them it it was a great uh, draw but it wasn't like a spitting you know cobra fifth day pitch uh, which would be very dangerous uh, so that is sydney and melbourne i think uh, sorry uh, brisbane i think so they showed a graphic yesterday on tv which showed that in the last 5 fourth innings in brisbane uh teams had scored very highly they they hadn't won because their targets were very high but all of them had, had uh, 
scored 300, 400, and so on. So it's not like, although uh, Brisbane is not a drop-in pitch, but it's not like you can't score at Brisbane on day five. Now, this is a narrative which has been built up through history. But if you look at the recent numbers, which they showed on TV yesterday, and I think Shane Watt talked about it as well, uh, teams have scored 300 and 400 on the last day or in the last innings at Brisbane. So it's not that tough. Yes, the pitch was doing tricks, but it wasn't like your typical, you know, like a typical fifth-day vaca pitch with a huge crack and so on. It wasn't that. So it wasn't that difficult, but yeah. Sorry, even Siddharth Monga wrote that uh, because of the rain, uh, the first session probably was the best to bat and uh, Shubhan Gill you know, deserves yeah. some, some luck because you know, he's been facing some you know, tough uh, batting tracks in the series. So I think uh, the first few hours at the GABA yesterday were very conducive to good test match batting. But again, yeah, so what, what he wrote was that the rain sort of rebinds the pitch so the morning session is easier to bat, uh, bat in. And that's what we saw as well in the first session. Gil batted uh, with all his strokes and he did well. So it was a great, great win. But the narrative that, you know, it's impossible to sort of survive on a fifth-day pitch is sort of outdated in the context of Brisbane itself. You know, we can't totally dismiss narratives. And I, I, I warned you because, yeah, yeah, you know, sure, this podcast sure. is an opinion-making exercise. Sure, I'm sure. Sure. No, no, and I'm sure some of my listeners must be saying, why is he saying this? So, again, we talk about the cliches, you know, that have been, you know, given to us through generations, you know, the fifth-day pressure and, you know, and the character and the grit. So, so you're saying uh, there is no stats to back that up, that fifth-day uh, pitch is a difficult pitch, or you were just talking about this instance? I'm talking about this instance, so like Brisbane in recent times. So, fifth-day pitches are obviously difficult. That's how the pitch wears on okay. as the test goes on. But in Brisbane, teams have been able to score runs. They haven't won because Australia are usually so, so far ahead in the game that they set you a target of 600. So you can't really win. You'll get all out at 400 or something. But it's not like you get all out at 200. So it's not been that difficult. And India batted well. India had a perfect plan for how to go about it. Uh, In the first session, they ensured that they couldn't lose where Pujara was blocking and he was holding one end up. And that was their plan throughout, that Pujara would block one end up and the other person would hit. So when Rahane came in, he started hitting his shots. When he went out, Pant came in. So when Pujara got out, you had no chance of losing or very low chances of losing, but you had a good chance of winning because you had 100 runs to get in about 17, 18 overs or something. So they they planned it very well and they batted very well. And uh, yeah. Yeah, 20 overs when Pujara got out because that's the first, uh, second ball of the uh, yeah. second new ball. He okay. he got out at 80.2 at uh, 228 for four. So, yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, let's talk about Ajinkya Rahane, Ravi Shastri and, and, and the management. You know, of course, this is Virat Kohli's team. Uh, he's out on, you know, father time, you know, seeing the birth of his first child. So, uh, let's talk about the interim captain. Uh, again, a lot of opinions. We've talked about almost every week in this podcast, but now there's a small body of work, three tests here, the Dharamshala test, and then there's one off test uh, in India. So he hasn't lost a test match. Uh, right. w- what is your opinion? I mean, it, it, nobody's saying it's his team, but you can still uh, marshal the troops and make decisions on the field. I mean, what is your take on this? Again, this is an opinion-making exercise. Uh, but right. if you were to give a report grade to Rahane, 
uh, as a captain, I mean, in what you saw in the last three matches and six innings, how right. do you read his captaincy? So, this is an open question in my mind as well because, again, the narrative in cricket has given a lot of importance to captaincy. Uh, but in a professional system where you have four coaches and you have players coming in through the A system and so on, uh, I don't know how much of a role the captain himself plays. So, he's been a good captain. He's made choices in terms of team selection. They've come off and so on. And he's been calm and collected and like whatever you um, have in the media. But uh, I don't know how much importance you can give to one man uh, in a whole team and a whole support staff like that. So he's been okay, but like four tests is not a good enough sample size for anything. And I'm not very sure uh, theoretically or academically how much a captain really matters when you have such a good team, which is set and which is full of good uh, players. So you give 10 good players to, you know, someone who plays great cricket and uh, he'll do a good job at it. Uh, so I don't know how much can be attributed to Rahane. He's definitely been very strong. He's definitely been uh, leading those people. But those are, again, external narratives. Like you don't know much about what goes on inside the team or the, uh, you know. So, yeah. So... He's been decent, but uh, captaincy is one of those things which is too abstract to sort of quantify and really talk about. And it's very lucrative to sort of say that, you know, Rahane started captaining and then India won and India came back from 36 all out and so on and so forth. But this is like a conspiracy theory, like equivalent to cricket, because there's no proof that, you know, had Kohli been there, we would not have done the same thing, even with someone like, you know, Natarajan or uh, Washington or Shadul coming in. So there's no proof of, you know, the counter argument. So it's one of those conjecturish things which you debate and you have a lot of debate on, but it's not really conclusive or concrete. So this is an open question in my head. Like I, I, I don't know how much, you know, difference Rahane made vis-a-vis Kohli. So, yeah. Yeah, you've been consistent and that's what I expected, but it's, yeah. uh, I still think it's a fair question to feel because mm. uh, there's you know, a lot of talk about this. And then let's spend a couple of minutes on Ravi Shastri and the support staff because to me, Shastri is an interesting case study because he gets a lot of uh, flack on Twitter. And I've always maintained, which I've said, I think maybe five times on my podcast, that you cannot see Shastri and Kohli in isolation. You can't give Kohli their all laurels and, you know, uh, decision-making, you know, bravado and everything. And she a genius and then mock Ravi Shastri. I think they are a tandem. That's why he got the job. That's why they worked so well together. So I think right now in Kohli's absence, who I think is probably a very integral part of the decision-making. I don't know what happens behind the scenes. But uh, I just want to ask you the question of Ravi Shastri because, you know, his speech is doing circles on Twitter, you know, that video. Right. I'm sure you've seen it. So uh, the man has yeah. gotten you know, a lot of uh, flack in the last couple of years since he's been on the job. And again, it's an open question, but uh, your thoughts on him and his, uh, his, his role with this squad along with his support staff. See, uh, a lot of ire that he gets online on Reddit or Twitter is because of two reasons. So the, one reason is that he makes a lot of bullish statements in the media, which is what he's doing. Like he's chosen to do that. He's chosen to be confident, uh, project a confident team and so on. He does that. And then sometimes we lose 4-1. Sometimes we go to England and lose 4-1 or we've lost 2-1 in South Africa and so on. And they don't match up with the performance and so on. 
the other reason i think which is the bigger reason is that uh, shastri replaced anil kumble so anil kumble is one of those guys again who's like a dravid or a rahane he's the good guy in the eyes of the fans and uh, uh, he was ousted to get uh, shastri in and a lot of animosity towards shastri sort of springs from that i think now if you go by what you see on social media from the team or like from uh, yeah so you kind of get the feeling that they have created a very good atmosphere for the players players are happy uh, they sort of revel in each other's success uh, they are happy with the coaching so it's very lucrative uh, to sort of complain about shastri and sort of say that you know he is always talking like this and we don't know what he does i used to be like that but clearly the team is very happy uh, they've succeeded for the most part and uh, again it's it's very hard for us to judge as fans but sort of uh, but but your uh, online drama sort of thrives on that where you have one match ka mujrim or someone every so, so, day and you flog him or flog her and so on so, so you, yeah are you in alignment with my point that you know if you criticize kohli sorry if you criticize shastri that has to go in tandem with kohli because they have been like you know uh, they have been on this together so that's why that's what i always thought was unfair towards shastri is that fans you know leave him outside of kohli and i you know i thought that's unfair because they were operating as a team even in press conferences you know right like, right you could see so so let's talk about uh, the readiness of these players uh, because right. this test series we saw a lot of new names it's just like every test match we lost a body and someone else who was not even supposed to be who was just who stayed back maybe to help out you know with the net sessions got a chance and they're like more than few names so i'm sure you've heard a lot of people attributing this right. to ipl and then right. uh, there's a stat floating around that india has played like 56 india a games according to you what what's a factor that has uh, besides natraj and all these guys you know siraj and gil uh pant they all have played a lot of first class games and i don't know what kind of india a games they have played but mm-hmm. uh, what do you attribute for their international readiness that they came in mcg scg at the gaba and you know these guys were ready so so there are away. two things uh in in on like the 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 surface level there are two things right so one thing is the uh, robust pipeline which has been created between first class cricket and the india a system and the under 19 system uh what that does is by the time you are in line to play for india you're already much more ready than the average player would have been had he transitioned straight from ranji trophy to test cricket now uh uh playing test cricket abroad is becoming tougher and tougher because tours are becoming shorter you have cross format adaptation and so on in such a scenario uh, your domestic numbers might not be a good indicator of test performance especially abroad so by creating that india a system and i'll talk about that with some numbers uh, by creating that india a system what we've done uh, is that india have ensured that their players are ready when they had to make the step up and you'll see that you'll see uh, someone like pant or someone like bihari or mayank or saini or siraj they've all played first class games with india a i'll talk about a couple of them so uh, india have played 52 first class games in the past 4 years i think 
Siraj has played 16 games out of those. Now, his first class average is some 23.5 or something. His average for India A is 21.88. He's taken 70 wickets. He has a strike rate of 42.2. Importantly, he's gone to South Africa, England, New Zealand, and West Indies as a part of this team. So the greatest problem that a test player might have after debuting, which is adapting to conditions, because you learn consistently. You've already taken that first step with India A. And you've traveled with Rahul Dravid and you've done this and you've done that. So you're already much more ready than you were when you stepped out of Ranji Trophy. Another interesting anecdote I'll tell you. Uh, people are very surprised when Hardik Pandya plays some good test innings. Uh, Hardik Pandya went to Australia with India A, I think, four, three or four years ago. And he was on tour with Rahul Dravid and he said that he matured a lot and so on. He played a very good uh, 71 not out on that tour when India A were in dire straits. So it's this sort of preparation which is going on behind the scenes. Now, the other thing at the other end of this process is that <clears throat> fans might not know it, but when people are selected for the test team, uh, they have a clear process to do that. So if people have consistent performances in the past 3 4 seasons in Ranji Trophy, then they'll be picked for india a they'll go around the world they'll travel they'll play games if they do well there then they are on the fringe of making it to the india team so there's a very systematic process it's not like you know why was siraj picked if he plays for rcb it's not like that siraj has taken like more than 2 wickets per innings and he has 150 first class wickets he has an average of 23 so Someone like Shardul has done well in the past three seasons for Mumbai in the Ranji Trophy. So there's a clear process which they follow. They look at domestic performances. They take you to the A system, and they gauge your ability there. They hone you there, and then they take you. And therefore, uh, you see what's happening now. Like everyone who's been called to step up and play in this series or previously has performed at some point, and that's a very important uh, factor. And this is. possible because the whole cycle of the IPL and money coming into the system and your resources increasing you are now uh, you know casting a wider net for talent and so on all these things culminating over like decades have now come to fruition for india yeah, which you're what, seeing yeah that's right i thought because right. even yeah even the mrf based academy i don't know that's an ancient right. thing but that was the pipeline of some of our bowlers and i think you raised some not raised i think you actually explained uh very logically because that's the science behind you know uh, what's going on with the with these results because there's no magic pill that you know siraj or right. you know, saini or right. gil are ready and uh, right. that explains because in the past when some of our bowlers like vinay kumar or some of the names would go to australian shores and as fans we would say oh these are bowling condition why is he bowling so short why is he over pitching right. it was always a length that our guys would right. struggle and when i say our guys i think i have some pakistani friends they always would say that their guys were thrown in a two or three match series and they just didn't know what right. to bowl in england and australia right right so i think right. Right. and I, i think india has come out ahead uh, clearly because our bench yeah. i think is is world class we can feel pretty much two teams if it was a carry yeah. back way i was joking with a friend today that it should be australia england india and india a and that could be a you know <laughs> that could be a four yeah, so that's again uh, the 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 point i made about you know uh, resources sort of matching up with the population uh, you've always heard that you have a billion people and why can't you put a good cricket team on the field 
Now, finally, we have enough resources to, you know, have enough cricket to have two or three international teams because we really have that much talent. And it's only now in the past five, six years that we've created the infrastructure or we've finally matured to the point where we can really uh, capture all that talent. And we are now seeing it. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, there's a whole process behind it. It's not, you know, out of the hat. Sure. Uh, we are already to half, half an hour mark, I think. And let's talk about some of the names that we had discussed while we were prepping for this podcast for the entire past week. And, mm-hmm. and the first person deservedly should be Rishabh Pant because he star, you know, of the show, you know, led the chase, had a great fourth innings again in Sydney. So, again, the, the common perception is he's very talented, he's Sehwag-like, but only if he can control his emotions. But the more and more I'm reading, I think that's his method. Uh, similar to the very polar opposite method of Pujara, which is a no-risk method. So let's talk about Pant. You know, how long has he been on your radar and how surprised are you about after seeing his batting exploits? And uh, in his short career, he's given quite a, quite a list of outings. You know, the, right, right. the Oval, uh, 150 at Sydney a few years ago and then a couple of brilliant knocks this year. So talk about Pant, the batsman, his madness, his method. I mean, combine it all for us. See, again, all this madness and all talk is all narrative <laughs> because if you look at Pant's first-class numbers, you will see that that person averages 58 for Delhi. Now, this is the keeper who averages 58 in the Ranji Trophy. He has a highest score of 308. Now, granted, Ranji Trophy quality is not that good compared to Test cricket, but this guy can clearly bat long innings. And he's shown that for India A. He's shown that for India A in List A games as well. So, he clearly has the goods. Now, his explosive batting is a function of what the team tells him to do. So, he's been told to go out and hit out. So, uh, on his last tour to Australia, you'll notice that he has a lot of 20s and 30s and he gets out. And uh, Nathan Lyon said this about him, that, you know, you keep bowling to him and he'll play a rush shot and get out. But that's what he was sent to do. Now, you can't typecast a player like this because he's clearly a very good player. He's good enough to be a specialist batsman for India. And he's shown that overseas as well. Now, if you look at yesterday's innings, or like, you see that at the point when Pujara got out, Pant was some uh, 34 of 84 balls. So it's not like he played some, you know, bazooka innings like the IPL and he just turned the match on its head. It was a very calculated, very well-planned first-class innings. He was on 34 of 84 balls when Pujara got out. At that time, India needed 100 runs. After that, he scored 55 of 54 balls. So, it's not at all surprising to anyone who's followed him. And I've followed him for the past uh, four or five years, four years. Uh, And there was a time I used to go watch uh, Delhi Daredevil's matches only to watch Pant. I used to go to the court line and watch it, uh, watch them uh, when they were a very bad team. But I used to go and watch for Pant exclusively because I was such a big fan of his. And uh, he's always had the talent. And what I personally feel is uh, sometimes he's under this pressure to hit the ball too hard where he loses shape and gets caught out or like misses the ball. But in a test match where he's much clearer about what he wants to do, his shots are much more balanced. His connections are cleaner. He shows what he can really do as a batsman. And this is the same mold as Sehwag or Warner because 
Sehwag was the guy who told Warner very early on in his first IPL that you know you will be successful in test cricket because fields are defensive and you attack the ball. So once you get it past the field, which you can, you'll always get runs, and that's what you're seeing with Pant consistently. And yeah, so I am very happy for him. I am not very surprised. I always knew that he could play like this, and he has played like this for India multiple times. Uh, so yeah, very happy. He finally, got to do it on the big stage and sort of uh, win a game for India. So the, uh, other, the other fan narrative or, or cliche for Pant is only if he can improve his shot selection. So there is always uh, obsession for the perfect player. Even uh, Abhishek, who was the guest last week, said something on Twitter like, "You know, you want uh, Pujara to play like this. You want Rohit to play like this. You just want a perfect player, which is fine. As fans, we always, you know, want the best for our team. But once it reaches the fan, uh, departs the fan level, and you're t- trying to talk academically about the game." Uh, talk about punch shot selection. Is that an issue? Because uh, the way Monga and some writers are explaining it, that's his risk reward method. That's yeah. So exactly. So 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 the thing with punch is so there are two things to batting, right? So there's intent and there's execution, and this flows in a pipeline. So people like punch or AB de Villiers or Dhoni, for that matter, they have intent to hit the ball and they have a repertoire of shots to execute that. now i don't think punch should change his intent because that's what makes him that sort of player he is someone who can average 50 for india playing 100 tests and so on and that's because he can hit those shots and he wants to hit those shots uh what happens is sometimes your execution fails because sometimes the bowler is good or sometimes you miss the ball in flight or something else happens as punch plays more and more his execution will definitely improve he shouldn't change his method that's his risk reward method as monga says that's the same method which will give you those 100 ball 90s or like 20 ball 100s which you'll talk about for the next 20 years and it's the same method which will get him out on 97 as well they come in a package deal so if you accept and you know celebrate the former you got to accept the latter as well that you know sometimes he will get out that's what you that's what risk is that's that's also what kohli does so why is kohli not as high scoring as smith because smith will never drive outside the off stump unless he is very sure kohli will and kohli will give you those gorgeous drives which you can drive a long uh, way to watch but that method will also bring about his downfall sometimes Early so that's the balance you want to yeah so that's the balance you want to have in your batting and pant plays a certain way and uh, there's an inherent risk in that sometimes but because he's so good and he's improving uh, more often than not he'll execute like we saw yesterday or like we saw in the previous test match um, so yeah sure. i uh, don't think it's a problem at all okay so this is a perfect segue for rohit sharma i mean uh, this man has also polarized lot of opinion especially when it came to selection for test cricket under the kohli shastri uh, regime if i must say a right. uh, lot of times the expense of pujara a couple of times the expense of ajinkya rahane very talented guy but you know had some soft dismissals if that's a narrative or not but numbers also don't lie that you know in some of the tor- toughest touring cycles he didn't come through and then uh, he's now uh, opening the batting in india missed the new zealand tour and comes back here uh, rightfully mm-hmm. so according to many because you know once he was available after the quarantine he should have been in the 11 and prithvi right. shaw was a walking wicket and what not so rohit sharma is here and uh, talk about his role at the top 
And uh, similarly to Pant, like uh, he's still associated with soft dismissal and fans get angry. The worst time to get out a lofted shot or, or it was, as Monga said again, we, we've been using Monga a lot in this podcast. Uh, it was a chip. It was, he just was cle- clearly beaten by Lion. So that's one example, but that's pretty much also the method of Rohit Sharma. See ball, hit ball. Right. That's what makes him great. Uh, you know, very sound technically, but is not afraid to play a shot even on the first ball of the match. Right. So, yeah, so with, with, with Rohit, it's been a sort of a hate-love affair for me. Uh, what you'll notice is that he started his transition in 2013 uh, when he opened in the Champions Trophy and so on. We all know that story. But if you look at his median score in ODIs when he's opening, his median score shifted upward dramatically after 2016-17. So earlier what he was doing is he was making a lot of big hundreds in ODIs, but he was also getting out cheaply. Now he's modified that and he's improved his game. And you'll notice a pattern in his game always in ODIs that he plays out the first 20 runs very quietly. He gets set and then he starts hitting. Now that is where you can see how Rohit Sharma, the batsman, has evolved. He's become much shorter of his defense. He's become much cleaner in the execution of his shots. He's become much tighter in technique. And now he's well-equipped to open the batting. Now, I personally was doubtful about him opening the batting in conditions with lateral movement. So he hasn't been there yet. But there should be no doubt or there should have been no doubt that he would have performed in Australia because he's never ever had any problems uh, against pace or bounce. He plays it very well. His defense has become very solid. Uh, He doesn't throw it away like he used to earlier. I say that because I used to keep a log of his dismissals and uh, the commentary of his dismissals from Crickinfo to see how many shots are described as throwing it away. There was a lot of them. So I don't think he does that anymore. When he plays the shots, they sort of stay hit. Uh, And yeah, so... I think people are making a lot of noise about his dismissal when he um, chipped the ball and he got caught out. It was his role to go and pressurize the bowlers once he's set. His role as an opener is in the same mold as Warner or Sehwag. That, you know, because he's such a gifted stroke maker, once he gets past that initial period, he will get you a lot of runs. And that's what the, the logic is. Uh, And he's shown that. Now, in India, I don't remember if it was the Pune test against South Africa. The ball was moving around. Uh, Rabada was bowling. And I think one more... uh, I don't know who was bowling with him. But the ball was hooping around. And he survived that. And he's... or, Or he managed to survive the opening session and then he got out. So, if he can do that, and if he can get set, if the ball isn't moving, then he's a very, very dangerous batsman. And that's what he's been told to do. It's not like he can't defend the ball or it's not like he can't stay for 200 balls. But the team has clearly told him and he said as much in the post-match thing that, you know, I was told to go there and pressurize the bowlers. Now, you're not playing against children, right? Like, you are playing against professional bowlers. So sometimes they will beat you. Uh, Seven out of ten times, Rohit would have hit that for six. Now, that one time, Lyon beat him in flight and so he got out. I don't think a lot of... uh, you know, like human cry should be made of this. Uh, to my mind, and I am his greatest critic, and I used to absolutely dislike him uh, two or three years ago even, he faced 
a spell from Hazelwood and Cummins and Stark. And he survived that. And that's his job as an opener. And he's proven that he can do that. And there are not many challenges that are uh, worse than that as an opener. So I think he uh, gave a very good account of himself on this tour. And I say this as someone who used to absolutely dislike him. I've been converted and yeah. Is he, yeah. Is he India's best bet with a big England tour coming up uh, in, you know, in July and August? If you've seen Cummins, who's the absolute standard of fast bowling today, right. and then Archer, Anderson, and Broad in English condition present a whole different challenge. Right. So, so compared to what you saw in Australia in the series, with of course Shaw didn't play well, but uh, Agarwal, uh, Gill, and Sharma, who's your automatic uh, number one opening choice uh, based on you know the quality they faced here? See, this is a tough question because uh, England and New Zealand are sort of very different challenges compared to Australia and so on. Um, but uh, yeah, so as Rohit is the incumbent and you don't have anyone better, I'd go with him uh, to play in England. Uh, now, it remains to be seen how he adapts to that. He's clearly a very, very good batsman. So it remains to be seen uh, how he does against Anderson and Broad and Co. But I would go with him simply because he's done a good job in Australia. He'll play the next four tests in India uh, versus England. Let's see how he goes there. I think I'd be uh, happy to go with him if I were selecting the team. All right. Okay, that brings us to Cheteshwar Pujara, the curious case. Yes. Well, if the opener number. goes, the number three comes in. Yeah, I mean, we are going in a batting order, right? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Pujara, again, uh, I mean, not to repeat myself, but talk about polarizing. I mean, there is a cricket activism, I feel. I'm part of that. A lot of fans, a lot of writers have been on Pujara's side. Uh, since 2015, 2016, he was dropped after, you know, West Indies series and then had to make a comeback as an opener against Sri Lanka and has been dropped maybe once after that. But uh, you always feel he's on a shorter leash because he's an outdated player. Even very knowledgeable people like Ponting and, you know, professionals sometimes find that he's, uh, uh, he's suffocating uh, the other uh, other batsmen with him by not rotating strike, which are like, again, very foreign, you know, very foreign terms that you never heard of, even in a cliche-driven uh, commentary of the older era, you never heard, you know, I'm sure Gavaskar, Mark Taylor, a lot of people, David included, have lower strike rates and strike rates were never brought up. So Pujara, every innings is scrutinized and uh, and even for his detractors, you know, there is a point that last series, he was scoring at a 41 strike rate in this series at 27 mm-hmm. strike rate. So I don't know if there's a question yeah. there, but you know the answer where I'm going with this. Yeah. So uh, how, do you, how do you sell Pujara's batting to a so, younger generation? I mean, first of all, there's this narrative which says that, you know, like a lot of um, Aussie commentators have been saying this, that, uh, you know, you've got to bat aggressively in these conditions and so on. If you look at this series, uh, Australia's run rate is 3.05. India's run rate is 2.79 per over. Uh, Australia's balls per dismissal is 57.5 and India's balls per dismissal is 65.3. You clearly see the result in the final scoreline. So batting slowly but surely has worked for India. So in an era where test matches are getting over in four, four and a half, three days sometimes, it's not a crime at all to block and survive and to consume deliveries. And overseas, overseas, that is his brief. 
Because if you look at India's touring cycle from 2016 onwards, they've consistently faced very, very tough conditions for batting, right? In 2018, when they went to England, that summer, that batch of Duke balls, Duke's balls were swinging all day. So usually what you do in England is you play out the morning and then you make runs in the afternoon and so on. That just wasn't happening in England. And in, uh, you had Broad and Anderson bowling to you and the ball was moving around all day. His job was to blunt the ball. And he did it in two or three test matches out of the four we played. So his job is to just survive, blunt the ball, so that people like Rahane and Pant and whoever comes after them can play. And that's what he also did in 2014 when we went there. So his job is that. Now, does he do that well? And I have a few numbers for this. So if you look at the median score at the 50-ball mark for a batsman, so you take all batsmen, you, you take uh, when they've reached 50 balls, and you take the median score of that. Out of all the batsmen who faced more than 2,000 balls since 2010 outside Asia, Pujara has the lowest runs at 50 balls. So he has 15 runs at 50 balls, which means that in his first 50 balls, or like when he reaches the 50 ball point, his strike rate is just 30. And that is the lowest out of like 50 or 60 batsmen. But he also passes the 50 ball mark more than most other batsmen. The only three who pass that mark uh, more than he does in that time are Labuskagne, De Villiers, and Chandipal. So he's clearly been given a job of just blocking the ball, surviving, and he's doing it well. And his strike rate is a function of the conditions he's faced and the bowling he's faced. Now, uh, the conditions in the previous uh, tour of Australia weren't this hard. The ball wasn't moving around like this. So he scored heavily. The other thing is, against Lyon, uh, he could score more heavily because Lyon was bowling slowly. So if you watch that series, he's been coming down the track a lot. He whips the ball between mid-on and mid-wicket and so on. And he gathers his runs there. This series, Lyon was bowling quicker to him. So he couldn't step down and flick the ball. So... All this is a function of what's happening on the field. Uh, if you watch this series, Pat Cummins and Hazelwood have given Pujara maybe 10 bad balls. And he's hit fours on all of them, but maybe 10 bad balls. He's bashed uh, Stark around because he's got bad balls from him. So when he gets those bad balls, he does hit them. That's why he scored so heavily in domestic cricket. You can't just block and have such a good record in domestic cricket. So his, his, his job is to block. And he does it. And I'll compare this number with what he does in Asia. So his chances of crossing the 50-ball mark outside Asia, 62.5%. In Asia, that same chance is 65%. And what's so the sample chance... size here? I mean, you're using his entire career or last few yeah, years? Yeah, okay. yeah, whole career. So the probability of crossing the 50-ball mark is the same. Now, what gives? Because conditions are different. In Asia, his median score at 50 balls was 24.5. Outside Asia, his median score at 50 balls was 15. So he's making that trade-off where you have tough conditions. You have good bowlers who can take your wicket early on. So what you do is you shut off your scoring. You don't play anything outside the off-stump. And that's why you'll see that he never gets out to something like, you know, flashing outside the off-stump 
or you know hold to mid off or mid on or long on he even not give you that mode of dismissal at all because he's clearly chosen that path of minimizing his risk that i will not score i will not hit unless it's absolutely a bad ball and i will survive and he's doing that because clearly he's passing 50 balls more than anyone else in this period uh so, yeah so, so 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 hold that thought but uh, again yeah. we are on the same side but i want to present uh, the counter argument from what you and i see on twitter and even in our in our friends i'm sure you know whatsapp groups and whatever the counter most simple argument would be the objective is to score runs right so which he does he has a 48 average so what do you tell a fan mm-hmm. who says you know he's a bottleneck he's giving a uh, bowler better execution plans because you know he's not taking any risk and if you're not taking any risk then the bowlers are you know easily settled in so is that a valid argument yeah, so or? so two parts to this answer so, so so the first part is that it's not his job to score runs abroad in that batting lineup in that batting lineup he's surrounded by stroke makers now someone like a mayank or a gale or a rohit who comes before him they're all stroke makers someone like a kohli who comes after him is also a stroke maker rahane also hits his shots nowadays so it's not his job to score runs and it's not true that he doesn't score runs he scored runs when he's found easy conditions or the bowlers are tired enough i'll take you back to his 132 to uh, not out in the fourth test in england in 2018 Uh, where at the end he was with the bowlers and he was hitting everything so it's not like he can't score but he doesn't choose to do it and you'll see it so you'll see that in the expected runs and the expected wickets numbers his expected wickets will always be one or two higher than his actual dismissals and his expected runs will be much lower so that's the trade off he makes that i'm not going to get out i'm not going to present the opportunity uh, to the bowler to take me out now the counter to that is that if you keep blocking you allow the bowler to sort of set you up with plans and that's the challenge he's taking on he's telling the bowler that this is test match bowling 101 you come and you bowl 40 balls at me and let's see if you can get me out when i'm not trying to get out at all that's the challenge he presents to bowlers and uh with someone like cummins or hazelwood uh, they are that good that they can get him out sometimes you know so that's what it is like cummins and hazelwood are sort of like once in a generation bowlers and it's not a bad thing if they get him out like they are meant to get him out and they're doing it because they're very very good bowlers uh the one counter i've heard to this is this method sort of doesn't work in conditions where the ball is always moving because one ball will surely get you and there is some water that holds because you see like he doesn't have a high average in south africa or england but he still played a fair few blockathons he's he's he uh, averages 105 balls per dismissal uh, in the last 5 years outside asia so he's clearly doing something right he is blocking the ball he's been told to do that and the team is happy with him they haven't dropped him after 2018 so clearly the team doesn't have a problem they're doing well okay and i don't see why it's a problem for the fans because this is not limited to overs cricket and you 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 don't have that era where you score at four runs per over that was 2000s and you know like what so the times have changed the conditions have changed and his method of batting is very very valuable for any batting order and so like people need to chill and sort of like yeah people won't chill in the context of batting yeah <laughs> till he's around people won't chill yeah I that's think, true uh, because he he challenges i think uh, almost every attention span and i think that's the word yeah, yeah. 
who was it? I think it was Kerry O'Keefe yesterday. He was telling Isha Guha and Warren that uh, Pujara has to be fair in strike rotation because he's played more balls. And I was paying attention. I don't know if it was if I had the numbers right. Him and Gil, when they were batting yesterday, because Rohit Sharma had gotten out in the morning, uh, if you do a rough math of how many balls they both, they both had pretty much, I think, at that point, 70 or 80 balls each. So I don't know where that yeah. is coming, that he's blocking yeah. others' intent and he's suffocating the strike. Yeah. Again, uh, if it's said on a, on a radio, or sorry, on a TV broadcast with millions listening, sometimes right, right, right. the narrative becomes the truth and that becomes, you know, the, the onus of your arguments. Even though, I think what you just explained that his job is not to score runs, I'm sure a lot of listeners will write to me and maybe even challenge you that the aim objective, uh, the first aim is to score runs. Uh, so let me ask you another narrative question, which may be valid. It right. is in my mind. So right. Cummins and Stark and Hazelwood and Lyon have done their homework. They bowled better lines, you know, and the conditions mm-hmm. slightly harder this time. So do you mm-hmm. think the absence of Kohli, aiding your point that stroke makers, you know, is a big blow to the Indian team? So you think Pujara's, uh, you know, colossal defense became more of, uh, okay, you have to play more uh, cautiously or you think it didn't change at all? Because uh, I don't think his role changed at all. Like his his role was just to... He's faced uh, more than 900 balls in this series and his role was just to block the ball, uh, mostly. And that's what he did. And I think Rahane took over the role of playing like Kohli in this series and he did it very well. So, I don't think there's any uh, real merit to these debates about he put pressure on the other end. and This is never a consideration in test cricket. Like, he's staying there. He's He's... he's He's blocking an end for you. What more do you want? Like it's it's not. So, the payoff here is it's not easy to score runs. If he tries to score runs, he might be in the pavilion, like Rohit is, or like Gill went out, or like someone else went out. He's choosing to be on the other side of that trade-off. That I will not score runs, but at least I'll stay on the crease, which gives me more of a chance to face the bad balls when they come, which he does. Like when. When someone like Lyon will drop it short, he'll hit it for four. He does. He doesn't miss out very often. So that's the payoff and he's recognized that. Now, he doesn't have a high average as someone like a Williamson or a Smith or a Kohli. And that's fine. Like He plays his role well in the team and the team is clearly happy. Uh, these external narratives about uh, you know strike rate and pressure and so on, I'm sure if you know Smith would have been doing the same thing, you wouldn't have heard it. Sure. From the Aussie commentators. So, yeah. so the next question, I'm going to just take a, a stat mentioned uh, by Karthikeya in his latest piece called Epic, the Cricketing mm-hmm. View. You can go check it out again. Very informative yeah. piece. So, yeah, I read it. Yeah. So he's saying in this uh, particular series, you know, we all know the numbers of how many balls Pujara faced, but he made the Australian yeah. trio of fast bowlers bowl 2,705 times to Indian batsmen. Yeah. That's the number yeah. of balls. And Chiteshwar yeah. consumed 6, 20, yeah, 27 Six. of those. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, yeah. So basically, I want to just throw in the fact here. You know, like we know Rabada, the Cummins of the world, they are strike bowlers, and mm-hmm. they they bowl in shots. You know, short bursts, like four or five over spells. And Cummins did bowl in eight over spell uh, in Melbourne, where Pujara yeah. and Gill were batting, and a lot of people, yeah. the Pujara advocates, talked about it. But you can explain better that that's also uh, the part of his role. Not only yeah. to take the shine yeah. of the ball, but to tire bowlers like Cummins so the others can face Green and Stark and and you know and even Hazelwood, who's not as potent as Cummins. So talk about that. Right. So from Karthike's piece, you can see that Pujara faced 23.1% of the balls that Pacers bowled. 
in this series. Now, the overall strike rate of the Aussie Pacers in this series was 59.7 balls per wicket. The strike rate versus Pujara was 90 balls per wicket. So he's doing his job. So and so this this uh, this knock from the second test that you mentioned, where he made 17 of 70 or 17 of 80 balls. Pat Cummins bowled a straight eight-over spell to him. And he got out at the end of the spell, the very end, the very last over of that spell. But he ensured that Pat Cummins wouldn't come back into the attack for the next 20 overs. So those sort of higher-order effects that you can't gauge from the scoreboard is what he's doing for the team. And I don't know what the noise is all about. Like, he tired out Pat Cummins, who's the best bowler of the world. He made him bowl an eight-over spell. And that's what his job is. And he did his job so that, you know, Rahane or someone else coming in after him could score. That's what you do as a batting order, right? So, yeah. Yeah, You're preaching to the faithful here. So, again, that's what I want to Mm. listen. But, again, I'm sure I have to present in a way that, uh, you know, some Pujara detractors or who find his game uh, a little uneasy uh, also have a say. So, let's wrap Pujara here. Uh, You talked about Mm. the 132 in England and yesterday's knock again. If That's a place Mm. where I want to use adjectives. I think getting hit so many times with a 140 yeah. kilometer per hour ball, I think yeah. that really rocks your world and it makes you challenge your second guess. Yeah. But he didn't shy away. So yeah, what is what is the best what is the best Pujara innings? Where does this rank in terms of some of the best he's put in his uh, you know 11 year old career for India? I think the best Pujara innings I would so let me think. I've watched a fair few of his innings now. Um, the best one would be the century in the first test on the previous tour because everyone fell around him. The bowling was challenging. India made, I think, 240 or 230. And he made a 123. And we won that test, I think. So I think that's that's my best innings of Pujara's. Then again, there is that 145 in Sri Lanka where the pitch was completely green mm. and everyone else fell around him. So he's played a fair few knocks on difficult wickets, which sort of... People sort of tend to discount them because they come in Asia. But uh, yeah, so I think those two innings of his are the best according to me. I thought you were going to pick the England one because to me, that's his best innings. I mean, yeah, that was good too. But the context of the Australia win and then like what he did in Sri Lanka after coming back from getting popped personally, like it, yeah. it, it was special to me. Yeah. Okay, so I think we covered quite a lot here. And uh, let's wrap this up by comparing the Tendulkar, Dravid, Lakshman generation to this generation. So again, uh, I did a little poll, which is the best Indian uh, batting lineup for the last four decades. And clearly this, you know, generation of legends was the overwhelming winner. But then, you know, the statistical, uh, the statistical warriors, you know, which, you know, you were all part of the brigade can make a counter argument while, you know, it's not as clear-cut an answer because the Kohli's, Pujara's and Rahane's are playing more powerful attacks that don't bleed right. runs. In fact, Mitchell Stark would have been a standout in any other era here. He's the weakest link. And right. look at what the attack New Zealand does. And then most attacks now are very deadly at home, India included. So uh, talk about that briefly. Uh, how do you see that with numbers? And uh, where does uh, which way do you tilt in terms of who, which, uh, which attack has performed better in context given the opposition. And so individually, and individually, I think it's, as of now, it's like um, okay to say that, you know, Sachin is definitely greater than Kohli and Dravid is greater than Pujara. And yeah, but 
if you look at the performance of the batting order as a whole and if you compare it in the context of how away batting averages have changed over the past 20 years you'll see that this batting order definitely definitely has a greater challenge on its hands and they performed very well now the problem we have is that we've sort of calibrated ourselves uh in terms of what a good partnership or a good knock or a good team score is because we've been watching cricket from the 2000s and the early 2010s if you look at the batting averages in those phases uh they were consistently in the high 30s or the early 40s uh if you look at the batting averages of the away batsmen in the past 5 6 years they've fallen to low uh, 30s and um, yeah so low 30s and late 20s so there's been a change in terms of a conditions in terms of b how good teams have become at exploiting their own conditions and see in terms of the depth of bowling attacks now you don't have a let up in the aussie bowling attack you don't have a let up in the kiwi bowling attack you have people like flander and mockel and stain bowling together in south africa so the conditions have clearly become more difficult in this 5 6 year period and i think when we compare the two uh, batting orders we should keep that in mind it's not a clear cut answer like you know this one is definitely better but you can't just look at the fact that you know tendulkar made 250 like making 250 is not the baseline anymore like it's not the baseline great batting performance in this era making a partnership of 500 is not a baseline good batting performance in this era the baseline has shifted you know partnerships of 100 or 80 can win you matches because the conditions are like that matches are getting over in 3 days so your calibration of what you expect from a batsman in terms of raw numbers also changes and so when comparing the two first of all i don't think it's a good idea to compare uh, you know but when comparing the two if you're having a debate it's always good to have that in context because we might watch limited overs cricket nowadays and we might have this impression that you know it's easy for batting but conversely in test cricket it's become much more difficult because of the variety of reasons that i mentioned so when you talk about batting orders compare the two keeping this in mind it's not a clear answer and individually record wise tendulkar is better than kohli is uh, dravid is better than pujara but you know you have to factor these things in that you know these guys have played against better rounded attacks in harder conditions sometimes so yeah so there's there's a lot of nuance to that you can't straight away just you know off the bat say that you know definitely worse and this this generation is a definitely worse player of spin this is a, you know this no, narrative sort of comes about uh, you know that uh, they can't play lion and they can't play ali and so on whereas when you look at the numbers they are clearly as good slash better it's only those few collapses in adelaide or here and there that have embedded themselves in people's memories and driven the narrative so it's always good to zoom out and look at the overall numbers and the context in which that's happened sure i'm sure there's going to be uh, bound to be a very healthy disagreement here which is fine mm. that's why you can find himanish on twitter at hganju153 he's not shying away from any questions drop a line <laughs> if you enjoyed the podcast and definitely drop a line if you disagreed with the podcast and the goal was to cover it in a slightly different way i'm sure there are a lot of podcasts or write ups 
been floating around uh, on the eve of this historic win. Uh, I hope we didn't disappoint you with the content we provided because uh, uh, there's a lot of uh, opinion out there, dime a dozen. So, Himanesh, it was an absolute pleasure. I think uh, you hit it out of the park as per me, but I'll leave it to the audience. And if, you know, uh, they disagree, you know, we'll be happy for engaging further. Well, thank you so much for having me. And I really enjoyed this chat. Uh, this is all like hot debates and I like talking about them. So thanks so much for having me. No, the pleasure was all mine. And uh, hopefully we can do this again at some point in the future. Yeah, sure.